0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my keys to the game for the Falcons to win in week four against Washington, my final score prediction, as well as answering your listener questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by Run Your Pool. Check them out today and get $10 off at runyourpool.com slash locked on and use our promo code locked on at checkout. So today up on the Falcaholic there is a column uh, for me about the ongoing battle, the potential battle between the Falcons and, and the Washington football team this weekend in the trenches. And we'll touch upon that later in the episode when we go into the keys to the game, as well as my final score prediction for this week four matchup. Uh, We also will be trying to answer some of your listener questions. Some of those topics are on limited playbooks, overused phrases, Caleb McGarry uh, and his struggles, but we'll sort of start things off talking about the injury report update that we got on Thursday. And as many of you are listening to this on Friday, we'll get the final injury report, but it does seem likely based off of Thursday's injury updates that wide receiver Russell Gage and defensive tackle defensive end, Marlon Davidson probably will not be playing this weekend. Both of those players missed their second consecutive day of practice. And you typically don't see guys as uh, did not participate on both Wednesday and Thursday. And then, you know, fully going on uh, Friday and then suiting up on Sunday. So, you know, I think probably at this point, and obviously you guys listening to this on Friday have a little bit more information as of this point. But, you know, I think the best case scenario is that you, you get them as limited participation on Friday and that they are sort of questionable for the the, the Sunday game and a game time type of decision. But it, it does seem likely That neither one of those players is going to go. It it does seem like AJ Terrell is fully on track to clear the concussion protocol uh, in the next day or two and and be uh, allowed to suit up on Sunday, uh, given that he was uh, practicing again on Thursday this week. So it seems like he's on track. So right now I'm assuming that AJ Terrell is going to play. Obviously on Friday, we'll probably get more official word, but uh, I think the Falcons will be mostly at at full health uh, minus Gage and Davidson dealing with their their various ankle injuries. So we'll see how that plays out, you know, this weekend. And and one of the key, you know, how that affects the various matchups. Uh, which we've touched upon already this week, yesterday on the crossover episode, but we'll continue touching upon some of these matchups, particularly in the trenches uh, when we talk about some of the keys to the game for the Falcons in order to prevail over this Washington football team. And we'll get into that coming up on today's Locked on Falcons podcast, which I want to say thank you guys for making your first listen of the day. And of course the Locked on Falcons podcast is free and available on all platforms, podcast platforms, platforms. Um, But, you know, as you make Lockdown Falcons your first Listen to the day, you know, I do want to recommend a second listen for you. And that, of course, is the Locked On NFL podcast where you guys can check out uh, the Friday show to get your boy Q and Chris Carter's take on what happened on the Thursday night matchup last night. That has not been played based off of when I'm recording this episode, but definitely subscribe to the Locked On NFL podcast, which you can find free and available on all podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. So I know when you guys are stuck in bumper to bumper traffic in Atlanta or wherever you call home, you wind up burning through a lot of gas. Why not get some cash back so that you can save at the pump. You now can with a new app called get upside. When you open an account on get upside, you get 25 cents back per gallon. Every time you fill up over time, that kind of savings starts to add up with some people making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back with get upside. And you not only save, but you have multiple cash out options with a direct, Direct payment into your bank account, PayPal, Amazon gift cards, and more available all the time. And now when you open an account and use our special promo code touchdown, you can get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents back per gallon. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Download the free get Upside app available in the App Store or on Google Play and use our promo code touchdown. When you sign up, that's GetUpside promo code touchdown to start saving every time you fill up. So getting into the keys of the game, uh, as well as my final score prediction, you know, I think the two keys for the Falcons, you know, for both sides of the ball, I guess, technically, uh, you know, is getting off to a fast start. Uh, we touched upon this a little bit with David Harrison, the co-host of the Locked On Washington football team podcast yesterday with Washington's tendency to get off the slow starts. And sort of where what gives, does Washington give up a defensive touchdown on the first drive as they've done the first three weeks? Or does Atlanta score uh, a touchdown on their opening drive, which is not something that they have done these first three weeks? So, you know, I think the Falcons need to break that. Um, streak and and do that. I think getting off to a fast start is going to be beneficial for the team. I think the other key to the game is turnovers, Um, but getting back to that fast start, you know, I don't love the matchup in the trenches for this Falcon team and more on that. If you go check out my column uh, today, on Friday published at com, the SB nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And I go into some of that stuff in further detail, but sort of the broad strokes of it is that I don't love these matchups for the various Falcons offensive linemen. I do sort of expect given the talent of this Washington front, that this is a game that where the Falcons offensive line, despite showing steady progress, these last couple of weeks will sort of come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, whether they come crashing back down to earth, you know, it remains the big question, but you know, I, I think Caleb Mayfield going up against Jonathan Allen. I think um, Montez Sweat and Chase Young are going to give a lot of problems for Kayla McGarry and Jake Matthews in this particular game, and that doesn't mention – Guys like Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis going up against Matt Hennessy and, and Chris Lindstrom. So I think it's a, a tough matchup across the board for the Falcons um, in terms of the guys that typically give our offensive linemen a lot of problems. You know, Jake Matthews tends to struggle against power. Montez has, has that in abundance. Chase Young has a lot of speed in addition to the power, um, but speed is usually usually Kayla McGarry's Achilles heel. So I think in a situation like we saw last week against the Giants where the Falcons are having to play from behind late in the game, you don't want to be in that situation because I think in that situation, Washington's pass rushers will be – able to start to assert themselves in the fourth quarter much better than New York's pass rushers were able to do that. Um, And because I don't necessarily have high hopes for the Falcons offense to put up a ton of points going up against this Washington front, I do think turnovers are going to play a key role if the Falcons are going to increase their chances of winning this game. The the Bills were able to get three takeaways against Washington last week, two interceptions and a fumble, and that resulted in 17 points for Buffalo as part of their uh, 43-point effort against Washington last week um and had they not gotten those turnovers you know maybe that game goes down to the final possession with Washington within a point or so or within a score or so uh, of potentially winning that game and what's interesting is the Falcons have had two takeaways so far this season and they've yet to Result in any points um, for this team moving forward. And so you want to see that change. And I think, you know, I I don't know what it is recently, but I remember looking it up several years ago and it used to be like something like three and a half points per turnover. So if you got two turnovers in a game, you typically were going to get seven points from that. Um, and so, you know, basically, if you get two turnovers, one of them turns into a touchdown, one of them you don't score or, or whatever the case may be, was sort of the league average in that regard. And so the fact that the Falcons have zero points off of two takeaways, um, you know, is well below average in that regard. So with those keys being said, let's just sort of get into my expectation for the final result of today's game. And if I'm speeding through this, guys, it's because I want to get to some of these uh, listener questions that I think are very compelling. And I tend to be very long winded when it comes to that stuff. So uh, for me, you know, I think it'll be a close game again, but I, again, because my expectation and my bias always is, you know, the offense is going to have to go out there and win the game at the end. And, you know, I don't think, while Washington's defense has not played particularly well this season, you know, I, I do think in a situation uh, late in the game where that pass rush is able to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback, that's going to be much more problematic, as I mentioned this week than it was last week. And so I don't love the Falcons chances in that regard. I think it's going to be harder for the offense to get a win there, you know, but I'm hopeful that the Falcons can sort of restore some home field advantage at Mercedes Benz stadium. And, you know, I looked it up and cause you know, I feel like, yeah, the Falcons have struggled since they moved to Mercedes-Benz Stadium with that home uh, field advantage. And, you know, what was interesting was learning that, you know, they went five and three at home in 2017. Then they went four and four the following year, three and five, the following year, two and six last year. And so I guess we're due to go one and one and seven this year, although technically I guess it'll be one and six since the, the Jets game isn't in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So hopefully the Falcons won't fall into that trap and go down. Oh, and two uh, at home with a loss here against Washington. But for my final score prediction, I am predicting the Falcons to lose here. I think again, it'll be close. They'll have an opportunity. should have an opportunity to win this game in the end in the fourth quarter. And hopefully they will be able to come through with it. But my final score prediction right now is going to be Washington 23, uh, the Falcons 21. So, uh, I have, um, Washington covering that one and a half point spread there, uh, in this game. So, that's what we'll do it with the keys to this upcoming week four matchup. And we'll get into some of the listener questions here talking about sort of how limited is Arthur Smith's play calling due to the offensive line play. You know, what are some of the more tired overused phrases that people say about uh, various players? Like, you know, this guy has that dog in him, and we'll get into a conversation about, you know, what's, going on with Caleb McGarry. And we might be able to get into a conversation with Kyle Pitts. Although, you know, I don't know if we'll have enough time to get there, but we'll see. Um, But what we will also see is how this Falcons offensive line performs against this Washington front. And we know that they probably could use a little bit of a boost to their protein this week in their diet. And of course the best way to get protein into your diet is with built bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. They come in several delicious flavors, including peanut butter, brownie, coconut almond straw, strawberry, cookies and cream, double chocolate, cherry, barcia, salted caramel, mint, brownie, raspberry, and so much more. There's something for everyone and you can try them all with a mix box. And the great thing about built bars is that they taste just like a candy bar. They contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. My personal favorite, the coconut almond tastes just like an almond joy. But when you eat a built bar, while it feels like you're Eating candy bar, you get none of the guilt because built bars are healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. Go order yourself some today or go ship the guys down in Flowery Branch some along this offensive line by heading over to the website at built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. So, our first question comes from Spencer Williams at Jevic 7026 on Twitter. He asked, Aaron, I follow you on your podcast. My question is, do you have anything positive that I can look forward to for this game? Well, Jevic or Spencer, I'm sorry, since this is, you know, primarily a matchup focused podcast when it comes to looking at, you know, upcoming games. You know, I think, you know, in terms of fun matchups and we'll see how they play out. But, you know, I think Grady Jarrett going up against Eric Flowers should be fun uh, and certainly favors the Falcons in that regard. I think the AJ Terrell versus Terry McLaurin matchup is going to be fun. And I'm, I'm very eager to see which of those two players emerges in that matchup. Um, so, you know, in terms of positives, here's what I will say, right. You know, I'll probably try to be a little bit more positive if the Falcons win this week, or I'll probably be a a lot more positive. if The Falcons can pull off a win this week in part, because I don't want to, piss off Dean piece. Uh, But the other reason is I I do think if the Falcons can pull off a win against this Washington team, um, even if it's an ugly win, similar to what we saw last week where they got arguably outplayed for most of that game until the final quarter, I think that is more impressive against this Washington team than it is against the Giants team. And a lot of of that is due to the the bias that, you know, going into the season, I I thought the Giants were going to be a team, you know, in the running for potentially having the number one overall pick in this upcoming draft uh, in the 2022 draft and Washington, while they haven't certainly lived up to these expectations, went into this season, you know, as an aspiring playoff team. Um, and so even though, you know, Washington's dealing with having a backup quarterback, start their games, you know, they still have a, a very talented roster. Um, and certainly while, you know, last week you heard me on Friday episode saying that the Falcons and giants were similar teams at that point, based off of the Falcons, not performing up to expectations in those first two games, um, you know, I, I do think the, the matchups, Washington, these matchups favor Washington a little bit more. Um, and so therefore if the Falcons can pull off a win this week. I think it will be a lot more impressive than the Falcons winning last week. Cause even again, the point of me saying that is even though I think the, the, the matchups were relatively even given the Falcons underachieving, you know, in theory, the the idea is that the Falcons should have been a much better team than the Giants uh, if they lived up to the expectations that we had going into the season. So for me, you know, I will say that if they I will I won't make a promise because you never know what mood I'll be in Sunday evening. But, um, you know, I will try my best if the Falcons do win to, you know be a little bit more positive about that win because I do think it, it will be a lot more impressive. I, I, you know, my beef with the team was my expectation was even though I didn't have the expectation that the Falcons would roll in that game, I thought it would be a close game that would come down to a young way coup sort of field goal to win it in the end. I was hopeful that the Falcons would, you know, blow those expectations out of the water and to basically see them kind of underachieve those expectations for most of that game sort of was where my beef comes from. It's, it's no different than, you know, you go to a movie and your friend goes like, "Hey, you want to go see this movie?" And you're like, "Well, I've heard this movie's terrible." And your friend's like, "Ah, oh, it doesn't matter." And then you go see the movie and it's it's terrible. It's, it's arguably even worse than you you kind of thought it was. You don't come out of it thinking like, "Oh man, that was great!" Like it met my expectations. Yeah, you know. So that's where I came from with the giant stuff. Even though they kind of performed what I thought they would, it's my expectations were so low that it was just kind of like, "Wow, they they couldn't even." overachieve these expectations. But with that being said, let's move on to Kindle Higa's question at K Higa 19. He has, I know you have questions of Arthur Smith, but how much of the playbook do you think is open right now due to the lack of trust in the offensive line to create time for the play to develop? I would say that probably 90% of the playbook is open. I could, the only part that I could imagine it not being open is, you know, the seven step drop passing game, uh, which I, again, I don't profess myself an expert on Arthur Smith's offense, but I don't recall seeing that as a huge part of their offense uh, in Tennessee, nor in the Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur type of offense where they're asking, you know, their offensive linemen to have these big vertical drops. So I think as far as the playbook is concerned, you know, I think most of it is that the foul, the, the playbook is open. And, you know, I think the criticism of Arthur Smith is that, you know, he needs to do a better job of, trying to utilize various aspects of that playbook in order to maximize this team's uh, potential on offense. And then of course, obviously the the other side of it is the Falcons need to do a better job executing the, the things that Arthur Smith is calling. Cause a lot of their issues are boiled down to execution, similar to uh, have been their issues these last couple of years when we've been complaining about the offense and we often, you know, put all the blame on the play caller whether it was sark whether it's cutter and now it's arthur smith and the reality is you know particularly when it comes to things like the running game like you know although again i think you can criticize arthur smith for not running the ball as much outside against the giants as he probably should have especially given the success that the falcons had the previous week doing that against buffalo i mean i'm against tampa bay you know I, i do feel like for the most part like stuff like running the football and blocking in, in, in terms of pass protection is about execution more so than the scheme and whatnot. So, um, I, I I don't feel like the, the, the playbook is limited technically, uh, because of the offensive line problems, but certainly there are concerns that if they guys can't execute the blocks, it's not going to give the play caller a lot of confidence that he can call that 90% of the playbook that is open. So our next question comes from chill vibes at chill catch vibes on Twitter. He has, uh, I need your help. Are the phrases, he's just a dog and he's just different, overused, or is it just me? Maybe you don't hear it as much as I do. If if you don't, then I envy you. I really enjoy your show. Hashtag respect. Uh, appreciate that. Um, yes, I hear it all the time. The, the, he's, he's got that dog in him was like the mantra of Falcons Twitter um, in the 2020 offseason after we signed Dante Fowler and Marlon Davidson. And a lot of that was in response to the struggles of Vic Beasley. Um, and I, the, the the various narratives of like Vic Beasley, the thing that held him back was the lack of want to, the lack of motor, all that sort of stuff. He didn't have that dog in him, as people would say. And, and while there is certainly a kernel of truth that 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 did play a part in why Vic Beasley struggled here, I think what was often missed with the whole Vic Beasley thing is you know, particularly when it comes to guys that play in the trenches, you know, there's there's this ba- this the scale, this balance of you know physical skill set and technical prowess, right? And the more that you have in one of those areas, the less you need any other area, right? The more physical gifted you are, the less technique you need to play with. The more technical you are, then you can get away with not necessarily being, you know, a, a, a premier athlete. And the, the mistake that I think a lot of people made when it came to Vic Beasley, and I say this, this is unlike a lot of takes in regard to Vic Beasley. And I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about Vic Beasley because we should be over it by this point in time. But there are lessons here that I don't think a lot of people learn. Um, and I say this because... You know, these were things I was saying about Vic Beasley when we drafted him. These are things that I was saying about Vic Beasley, you know, after he had his, you know, NFL leading sack season in 2016, rather than sort of these retroactive narratives that people have created of Vic Beasley post-2018 when people realize after spending three or four years talking up Vic Beasley, like, oh, he's not living up to my expectations. So how do I save face by basically creating a narrative to justify that I wasn't wrong about Vic Beasley? Vic Beasley's just, you know, lazy or whatever those narratives were. And I say all that because... Vic Beasley's physical capabilities were not as good as people made him out to be. Now, yes, Vic Beasley was a great athlete, but, you know, he was a guy that could run fast and had, you know, smooth hips or whatever the case may be, which, you know, is valuable to a pass rusher, but isn't necessarily – the ideal skill set, like you know, the physical tools that you look for in a pass rusher is size, length, and core strength. And those were areas that Vic Beasley really struggled with. Uh, those were the, his biggest weaknesses. And so with Vic Beasley, because that meant that his physical skill set, at least when it's applied to being an edge rusher, now if you want to apply that skill set to being a off-ball linebacker, that's a different conversation. But as a pure edge rusher, his physical limitations were such that he needed to be a, a, an elite technician. And so there's when sort of the conversation about Vic B.C.'s quote unquote lack of work, the lack of having that dog in him, you know, comes into play because he needed to overcompensate for this fact that he was very physically limited as an edge rusher. Again, there's not a history of uh, too many 240 pound edge rushers having success in the NFL. You know, there's basically Robert Mathis. And the thing that you can say about Robert Mathis is, is he wasn't lacking core strength and he wasn't lacking in length. Uh, he was a short guy, um, but he had long arms. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you look at those guys, the, the exceptions to the rules, even they are not necessarily true exceptions in the way that Vic Beasley would have been. And so I think that's the mistake that often gets lost. That's the lesson that often gets lost and overlooked when it comes to why Vic Beasley failed, where people want to focus on the lack of want to the lack of work ethic, the lack of that dog or whatever you want to call it, and completely miss the fact that he was a short undersized, you know, short armed, um, 240 pound guy that played like a 220 pound guy. Uh, and, and that to me is where it all started with Vic Um, so yeah, that, that whole he's got a, a dog in him sort of thing that people love to utilize and p- particularly utilize last year as a response to the whole Vic peasy fiasco. Um, you know, that was one of those things that I just kind of, roll my eyes at because I'm like, look you know he can have the dog in him all he wants, but like does he know how to string moves together <laughs> does he have counter moves does you know does he know how to use his power his length his his hands all these various things you know you know if he's just got a dog in him like you know then it's all you know bark and, and very little bite at that pace at that point in time and until he develops those things then it's all you know bark instead of bite so um we'll move on to Riley Strite's. um Questions and one I'm definitely confident we'll be able to get to the other one. Not so much. Riley tends to be very long winded in his emails. Uh, So his first question is, I expected the right side of our offensive line, although not amazing by any means to be fairly solid in the least of our worries. I realize that you only really notice linemen when they have a real splash play or get beat but McGarry seems to be struggling more than I expected. I'm wondering, is it regression maybe trying to get back into the swing of things slash not being a hundred percent from his preseason injury, the level of competition on the end compared to what Hennessy and the rookie are seeing or has the presence of and experience of Alex Mack in past years protected him a bit. No, I, I think, you know, I think you're right in the sense that I think a lot of McGarry's struggles are a bit exaggerated uh, because you know the, the the two really bad plays that he had in that Tampa Bay game were showed on super slow motion replay where he gave up the sack on a stunt to Indama Sue and then missed the block in short yardage and those are the things that stick out in people's minds when they say oh like I remember these two really bad plays that screwed us over uh, with, that Caleb McGarry missed these blocks and then outside of that you know McGarry was fine you know and and the fact is that when you look at his progress instead of regression. Um, you know, I think when you measure his performances against Shaq Barrett in week two, where Shaq Barrett was mostly quiet in that game outside of getting that interception. So the biggest play that Shaq Barrett made in that game was in coverage, not as a pass rusher compared to going up against Shaq Barrett in previous years, particularly in his rookie year. Like, you know, it's, arguably a night and day difference uh, where Shaq Barrett looked like he was the best player on the football field in both of those box games back in 2019. And then was hardly heard from, at least as a pass rusher uh, in this most recent action. Uh, McGarry did struggle in the, in the week one game, certainly going up against those Eagles edge rushers, and certainly he had a very, another prominent negative play in the giants game where he gave up the sack uh, on to Aziz Ojalari that led to the fumble. But I think, you know, again, the thing with McGarry is, is interesting because I, I think you see a similar dynamic with Jake Matthews on the opposite side uh, where there's this expectation of you know, him basically never getting beat. And when he does get beat, people tend to exaggerate it. And that's the case with all offensive linemen. Um, but I think McGarry's issues are compounded because the Falcons drafted him in the first round. They traded up to get him. Um, and that has led to a lot of people having, I think, probably undue expectations for Caleb McGarry. The reality of Caleb McGarry is that, you know, you shouldn't put first round expectations on him, right? Um, because, you know, when you're drafting guys at pick 31, where we got McGarry, you're not really drafting first round talents. You're drafting basically the best of the second round talents. And what often gets lost in the contextualization of Caleb McGarry's performance so far in his career is that when you look at that 2019 offensive tackle class, You know, while it doesn't quite look like it right now, um, you know, you can make a case that Kayla McGarry, outside of maybe Jonah Williams, has been the best performing offensive tackle from that class. That you look at guys like Andre Dillard and Titus Howard that went ahead of him in round one, haven't quite lived up to expectations, certainly as tackles. Titus Howard, I think, is a guard at this point with Houston. You look at the offensive tackles at the Falcons. The reason why they traded up for Caleb McGarry is because there were four teams picking that needed offensive tackles picking ahead of the Falcons in round two. And the four guys that those teams wound up settling for, Dalton Reisner, who's played guard for the Broncos, Jawan Taylor for the Jaguars, Greg Little for Carolina, and Cody Ford for Buffalo. Ford, I think, is playing guard and and struggling. Greg Little's already been traded. Um, Reisner's playing guard as well. And and Jawan Taylor's been basically an average uh, starting right tackle at best for Jacksonville. You can make the argument that Caleb McGarry's body of work is better than all four of those guys. So that gets lost in the context when it comes to Kayla McGarry um, of like, you're not contextualizing the fact that even though Kayla McGarry may not be a world beater, he is kind of playing better than some of the other options that the Falcons would have potentially had at that pick. And so therefore it does kind of justify the decision to trade up for him um, because the Falcons thought that he was the best of what was left. And, you know, at least so far, it's hard to argue that they were wrong in that assessment. Now I say all that knowing that there's a, Pretty decent chance that Caleb McGarry is probably going to struggle on Sunday against this Washington team. And so, you know, these words are going to probably not age particularly well over the next, you know, 48 or so hours. Um, but, you know, my hope is that the Falcons will be smart about it and help Caleb McGarry. You know, and, and if Caleb McGarry is getting beat to the inside in this game, you know, that's a different conversation that's on Caleb McGarry. But if we're seeing Caleb McGarry get beat with speed to the outside, then I to me, that's a failure on coaching, because, you know, one of the things I did last year when we signed Dante Fowler and you can go still look this up on YouTube, Falcon Central Radio. I did an all 22 breakdown of Dante Fowler um, and looking at this film, I looked at his film against the Falcons in 2019, where he dominated Kayla McGarry. And I looked at it a later game that season where he was going up against the Steelers, going up against basically, I think, a core for I think. It was his first NFL start. And what the Steelers did was they basically put a tight end on that side of the field wherever Fowler lined up to basically neutralize his speed. And so when it comes to Caleb McGarry's greatest weaknesses, when when it comes to speed, when it comes to these matchups against the Shaq Barrett's and the Brian Burns's and potentially this weekend against the Montez Sweats and the and the Chase Youngs, if he's getting beat with speed, like to me, that's a failure on coaching. Like when Dante Fowler was whooping him with speed in that 2019 game as a rookie, you know, that to me was on dirt cutter for not chipping and not helping and not putting somebody to neutralize that edge rusher speed in that regard. And so I I feel like if that happens again, this weekend, you know, that to me is on Arthur Smith more so than Kayla, Carrie, Kayla McGarry can't help the fact that he's not as good an athlete as Chase Young or Montez is. you know, uh, like that. You can't blame Kayla McGarry for being limited in that regard. He was born that way, so to speak. So like, you know, that's one of those things where like, I do feel like Kayla McGarry does get, Worse rap because of his draft status, because of the trade up, because of the fact that the Falcons offensive line hasn't been particularly good in the years since. Then, and, and someone's going to get the blame for that. And also because, you know, Caleb McGarry said some uh, questionable things on social media one time and Falcon fans have long memories. And I've learned over the years that, you know, A lot of Falcon fans care more about what you tweet and what you post on Instagram in terms of their assessment of you as a football player than necessarily how you actually perform on the field. So I say all that in the defense of Caleb McGarry, but I'm sure uh, these words are going to age very poorly (laughs) over the next 48 hours, particularly going against this Washington front, which is contributing factor to some of my pessimism going into this game. So there we have it. Riley had another question about Kyle Pitts' lack of impact, and we'll just sort of have to save that. Uh, for next week. And hopefully we will be able to get a, you know, some additional data uh, where Kyle Pitts does wind up performing up to expectations, uh, which is the bulk of Riley's question is, you know, is it just me, or is Kyle Pitts, you know, not performing up to expectations? And it's not just you, Riley. Uh, so we can we can touch upon that, you know, next week. Uh, and so there's where I want to leave it, guys, for uh, today's Lockdown Falcons episode. If you want to send in your questions to be answered on a future Q and A, probably Wednesday. Then, of course, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdownfalcons at mail.com. We will be back Sunday evening with a rapid reaction to whatever happens in this week four matchup between the Falcons and the Washington football team. And, uh, you know, there you guys have it. Appreciate you for making uh, Lockdown Falcons your first listen of the day. But another recommended recommendation for your second listen of the day, and that is, of course, the Locked On Bets podcast where Lee Sterling, the handicapping expert over at Paramount Sports, joins your boy Q every day to give you Lee's daily picks, his blowout specials, his lock of the day. Definitely check out Lee if you want to get some tips for this weekend's action so that you can make a little bit of money so that if the Falcons wind up disappointing you. You can sit here and say, look, I I got some cheddar in my bank account and you know, I'm getting some cheddar back from get upside as well. And then I can use that cheddar to go out there and get me some built bars that I can then ship to Kayla McGarry down in Florida flowery Brent so that he can do a better job going up against, you know, John Franklin Myers next week in London, uh, going up against the Jets. So that is my recommendation for you. So definitely check out the Lockdown beds podcast. It just gets the ball rolling so that your life is a little bit better, even though the Falcons may not be doing the positive things that Spencer wants them to do and wants me to talk about on the podcast. So appreciate you guys for tuning in. Have a great weekend till then.